Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your planning host, Mike Armstrong. We are very excited to have here today uh, our first listener turned guest, Katie Rock. Katie, thanks so much for listening, for reaching out, and being with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Katie is a commissioner with the Polk County Soil and Water Conservation. And with some of the events that happened this summer, we know that there's a lot of interest right now. We were, you know, very curious, very excited to have you on right now. Yeah. A few months removed from all the, the <laughs> yeah, fun so events. So w- would you like to tell a little backstory here? Yeah, so, don't know. Uh, w- our, our basement is looking a little worse for the wear and then slightly better again but <laughs> uh, because we mm. we definitely we got four inches of water in our basement um in july when when the storms hit but yeah, yeah for the des moines area especially areas of ankeny and mm-hmm. um west des moines and a few other places we got upwards of 10 inches of rain in flash flooding mm-hmm. the last i heard it was declared a fema disaster uh, yeah, I mean, Polk County got a disaster declaration, but actually 30 out of the 99 counties in Iowa got a disaster mm-hmm. declaration this summer from flooding and tornadoes, so yeah, so we're just on the list. Yeah, Flooding <laughs> is not necessarily a new thing for the yeah. Des Moines area or for a lot of Iowa, but this was certainly a pretty substantial one and less river flooding and more flash flooding. Mm-hmm. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got here? Yeah, that's why I'm here. So let's get to it. So I'm a, a commissioner with the Polk County Soil and Water Conservation District, and that is an elected position. And it's on the, the bottom of your ballot. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have, so this year you'll have the governor's race at the top, and then on the back side and on the very, very bottom, you have your soil and water commissioners. It's very important and very exciting. Still um, love the district judges. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I just looked at it. That's, that's kind of crazy, but maybe not. Um, so, yeah, and I put my name on the ballot in 2016, kind of last last minute. I'd actually thought about doing it in 2012, but they meet during Tuesday mornings, so I had to get approval from my boss at the time, and she was mm. pretty lukewarm to cold about that idea. So, um, <laughs> But then once I, uh, I changed jobs, it was more of an option, and I was like, you know, I have no reason not to go for this. So yeah, it's been two years on the commission, and I'm, um, I knew what I was getting into. I wasn't just like throwing my name on the ballot. I grew up on a farm outside Muscatine, Iowa, which is on the Mississippi River. It's on east, in eastern Iowa. And there's a creek that flew through our farm as a, <clears throat> as a kid that flows directly into the Mississippi. And actually where that creek meets the Mississippi River, there's a state park. And it happens to be the spot where I got married. Mm. And so um, I've been involved with a group called Women for Water. And they uh, one of the ways we connect is to kind of reflect on times that you connected with the water as a child and your thoughts and memories and feelings about that. And then when I really reflected on it, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is pretty obvious that this water is, flows through my early life. Um just a couple of emotional connections. There. Yeah, just a, there's just yeah. a couple. Yeah, and I also remember the floods of 93 were a very vivid memory for me as well. I remember we used to make um, 
styrofoam boats out of those meat trays <laughs> and like race them when when it was raining so hard. Um, and I also remember watching the news and they were talking about shutting some of the dams along the Mississippi River and how that was slowing barge traffic. And my mom was like, well, some of our corn's on those barges, so this is actually a, a bad deal for us. And we we're like, oh, yeah. okay. And then we went back outside. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, and my uncle back home had served on the board, so I, I knew what I was getting into. I know what these districts do, but a lot of people don't. Yeah, now I, I live in, in Des Moines. I went, um, went to Iowa State and got a degree in agronomy and plant science and then got a, a master's in plant breeding at Minnesota and moved to back to the Des Moines area for a job at Pioneer, or the company formerly known as Pioneer, whatever they're <laughs> called now. Um, yeah, and I worked in research there for about six and a half years. Now I work for a nonprofit called the Center for Rural Affairs. It's always nice hearing that sort of path to these positions. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. for a lot of people who may not know about these, building those connections has been a big part of our podcast and why we got mm-hmm. into this of just... There are a lot of those key points in our lives are like, this really is important. This does impact daily lives of a lot of people, even if you're not river folk or like water folk, like you may not realize it. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, very much. And yeah. also just the sort of logistical kind of realities of, of running for an office, right? It, it doesn't become your full-time job with, you know, a full-time salary or anything like that. You have to do it in addition to your full-time job. <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. Very but, much real when you're thinking <clears throat> about running. <laughs> yeah, but this I think what's great about running for the Soil and Water Conservation District is that it's, it's a pretty low-barrier way to get involved. And what I've found is it's... Um, it's been a great way to get involved because they're actually doing a lot of really important work. And fall of 2016, I, I remember my husband and I were at the Beaverdale Fall Festival Parade and people had floats for the um, the Broadlands Hospital Board. Oh, yeah. And my husband kind of nudged me like, you could have a float in the parade. Why, <laughs> like, why don't you have yard signs? And I was like, no. I'm like, it's great that there's something where you don't even have to raise like two thousand dollars to to do something and and so I I purposely was like I'm really gonna try to do as little as possible just to just not because I'm lazy (laughs) but because it's it just to kind of prove a point that you know there are on-ramps for people Mm. yeah 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 so yeah so we'll dive into the details later on as you said but can you give us sort of a broad overview of like what are the areas of responsibility of the soil and water district I'm a huge nerd, so and they've You're given me a company. glass of wine and a microphone, and so this is very dangerous territory. Um, so, <laughs> the soil and water conservation districts have a really long history that uh, goes back to the late 1930s, at the end of the Dust Bowl, and there was a, a soil scientist named uh, Hugh Hammond Bennett who really kind of advocated post Dust Bowl to be like, we need to be serious about conserving our soil, I have an idea on how to go about that. And FDR was the president at the time, so they kind of decided that the best way to implement a national strategy would be to implement it at the local level, which I think is still a relevant mm-hmm. message, a relevant lesson. And so what FDR did um, is pass down model legislation to the states to create these county-level soil and water conservation districts. And there's now 3,000 of them nationwide. Um, And there's actually 100 in Iowa, even though we have 99 counties. Um, And they actually have uh, more authority than 
these watershed groups that have kind of mm. popped up around the state. And there's even different levels of watershed groups, so that's just another level of confusing <laughs> for everybody. But uh, what I'm talking about are these formal watershed management authorities that now cover roughly a third of the state, which don't have the uh, authority to leverage taxes or bond there, and they're prohibited from using eminent domain. Um, and SWCDs actually have taxing and bond authority. Mm. So there are some examples in the state. One is just south and west of the Des Moines metro where they have, it's called Badger Creek Lake, and they petitioned all the landowners around this lake to form a sub-district that it actually covers three counties. And then they've um, leveraged the property taxes in those counties to fund um, a staff person, a watershed coordinator. And they do projects upstream of this lake. And there's a state park around the lake. So it's kind of a self-funding local entity to kind of protect the lake in this rural area. So you can do that. They're kind of like a school district for your soil and water. Hmm. But it's to really, I think, kind of leverage all of that flexibility, you have to have people that step up to be commissioners. And you have to be savvy and kind of innovative and entrepreneurial, I think, in, in coming up with ways to fund projects and stuff, mm. things like mm. that. So I think what's different about Polk County, I mean, we're the most urban county in the state, and we actually have four staff at our soil and water conservation district level. And a lot of these districts are housed um, at NRCS offices. So that's the Natural Resource Conservation Service, which is a USDA arm that's focused on conservation planning. A lot of the funding that comes through the Farm Bill is then implemented to these offices and and actually implemented at the local level through these soil and water districts. Hmm. <clears throat> so the Farm Bill funds a lot of things, but so does the state government, like the water quality bill that just went through mm-hmm. uh, last spring. So um, in Polk County, we not only have staff, but we spend probably about half of our time but split between rural and urban issues. So urban would be stormwater, mm-hmm. <laughs> trying to help people keep water out of their basements when it floods by um, doing something that we call green infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So I'm, tomorrow I'm actually heading to this Central Iowa Green Infrastructure Conference, and there's another one in eastern Iowa that's the first of its kind in Iowa. So that's that's a growing um, interest, especially since the city council passed a stormwater fee increase. Probably the other big thing that we do, um, we have five of these watershed organizations, these formal watershed management authorities within Polk County. Des Moines, the metro, is like a lot of these major cities in the Midwest, a former trading post at the, mm-hmm. at the meeting of two big rivers, right? Um, And so we have a lot of different watersheds that all converge right here. And we've said yes to every organization that wants to form. There's actually two others that could potentially form, but there wasn't a lot of interest outside of Polk County to do this. (laughs) So, yeah, and then our commissioners have a seat on these watershed boards, and that takes up a lot of our time as well. Yeah, as you said, you do a lot of sort of preventative work, education, some incentive programs. So, you know, when you talk about stormwater, you're not just talking about after the fact, you're also talking about helping people set up, you know, rain gardens in their yards to reduce the amount of stormwater running into the sewer system. And 
yeah. you know, trying to pull all these different pieces into a larger mitigation system that'll hopefully keep these catastrophic events from happening. Well, I see. We're starting to get into your planning wheel. Yeah, this here. is this kind is of <laughs> yeah. fancy words, and I get excited. Yeah. I remember when you were in grad school and you taught me the word bioswales for the first time. Yeah, it was an exciting day. Yeah. yeah. It's a great moment in history, yeah. <laughs> Probably the only one of your vocab words that I have ever written. <laughs> yeah. So you hinted at this a little bit earlier. Um, so now that we've, we're kind of grounded in the organization's mission and, and what you do as a commissioner, what are some of the common misconceptions that you hear about your work? Um, I don't, I don't know that I hear many. As much as there are a lot of conceptions about <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> more, than, more than anything, I think there's just a lack of conception. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think that's a bad thing because, you know, we have this elected board and we really try to not be political because mm-hmm. the face of our district is our staff. And where they work, they are seen as a technical resource, mm-hmm. you know, an objective mm-hmm source of information and technical guidance. And if our board was overly political, that would really hamper their jobs. And I don't do their job. (laughs) I don't want to do their job. So, I mean, if I do nothing else as a commissioner but keep our staff employed and happy, then (laughs) that's, that's really, I'll be doing my job. And so... Yeah, I think people just don't really know what what our district does. I think I I get questions a lot. People will think I'm on the county conservation board, which is something different. Mm. You know, that's okay, but people should know more about what we do because what we do is is growing mm. in uh, volume uh, through these watershed organizations. So we're doing a lot more of these ag and urban partnerships where the city of Des Moines is actually using money to put in projects in rural Iowa. I mean, they have to be within Polk County, but they're very much upstream of the Des Moines Metro. So Mm -hmm. a good example is uh, work that's been going on in the Four Mile Watershed, which Mm -hmm. flows from Ankeny um, through Bondurant and Pleasant Hill down to the east side of Des Moines, which had a lot of really heavy flooding. Mm -hmm. I mean, the rain event that we saw this summer was you know, from Ankeny, just, what, seven, ten inches of rain yeah. all the way through the Des Moines Metro and Four Mile and Walnut Creek really hit the brunt of that. Mm-hmm. And so what makes it kind of complicated on this conception is that our Soil and Water Conservation District works closely with the County Conservation Board, and they both have the word conservation in them. And so it's just <laughs> like whoever you people are, you're just all one big lump. Um, yeah, so Four Mile is really a great example. Like I said, the city of Des Moines, they invested in the upstream in Four Mile Creek. Um, and they're actually, we one of our staff people, John Swanson, he acts as a coordinator of all these different watersheds. And so his whole job is to go across all of the city councils uh, in the Des Moines Metro and the NPO office, mm-hmm. the county board of supervisors, and all these different watershed management authorities, and to get them to work together and to be kind of like the messenger amongst all of those groups. And he's great. They also work with uh, the other watershed coordinators in our district to recruit landowners that are upstream Mm -hmm. and get them to implement projects or put in cost share or maybe do an easement if that's something that interests them. And they've had some some good examples of that. Other good examples are in... um, Grimes and Granger, they're putting in some two, two and a half acre wetlands, mm. which will kind mm. of filter all this water from hundreds of acres upstream 
up, you know, before it flows into the metro and likely flows into Urbandale and Clive. So really what would make sense is to do more of that, <laughs> right, <laughs> upstream or maybe even closer to the metro. But you're kind of limited on city planning mm-hmm. to do that. And there's actually a major effort going on with the County Conservation Board and the City of Des Moines and the SWCD to create a 500-year flood-protected area along mm-hmm. the Four Mile Watershed, flowing all the way from Ankeny down to the heart of downtown. Um, and there are buyouts happening as part of that. It's going to be a, a long-term effort, but Amanda's doing a, a good job with that, and it's going to continue to grow. I know, I think it was last year she had access to, um, she'd worked with a co-op and had an aerial seeder of cover crops um, that was offered for free for through some cost share, and I think they seeded like 4,000 acres, so aerially, wow. so with, I think it was like a high boy spreader so like something they normally use to spray pesticides or irrigate with or something that mm-hmm. they then were spreading seed through and just covered. wow or maybe it was a plane i don't remember i'm pretty <laughs> sure it was a highway <laughs> anyway it worked highway, yeah. i'm picturing a plane regardless because i don't know what that right. is <laughs> yeah so yeah things are going on i just think you know i i hear a lot of people that are so frustrated about water quality mm-hmm. but there's there's quite a lot going on and we just should be doing that works and we should just need to do more of it so well and i'm sure it's a, a big job just kind of you know i was i was perusing the the SWCD's um website and looking at kind of the projects going on and and a lot of and just the, the theme i got from quickly perusing was sort of trying to get back to what nature would have done anyway if we hadn't gotten in the way right so like restoring yeah. those um what are they called like oxbows yes <laughs> yeah Did I make the motion with my hand like this thing yeah 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 yeah, yeah so that's like it's like I an, said oxbows I'm like that's not right <laughs> yeah so that's like yeah. a like making the a wider curve in the river mm-hmm. yeah so that it pulls up yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, I mean, there's so many connections I can already see, but uh, yeah. we'll ask the question anyway. Why should the community care about your work? <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we have we have resources for people. We're really where the rubber meets the road in this whole water quality debate mm-hmm. in Iowa because uh, money that comes from the Farm Bill or whether it's coming from the state to support water quality, though most of it comes from the Farm Bill, it gets spent through our districts and through agreements, either through a contract or it can be voluntarily. Farmers can create a conservation plan for their farm and then file it with our office. They're not required to, but it's just, if they needed a place to put that, that's mm-hmm. that's where they would file it. But and in a place like Des Moines, we offer cost share for rain gardens. So I actually have a friend who put in a rain garden that's, it's like the gutter from her roof would drain into this rain garden that would drain up to nine inches of rain like a nine-inch event. Wow. And during that summer rain event, she was sharing, like, a video on Facebook, like, check out my rain garden, guys. I think it's working. I think it's going to hold. So, yeah, if you wanted to put in something like that, that's pretty cool. That would really help. Yeah. Uh, or a, a bioswale. I I think I know what that is. <laughs> I think, okay, like, contest me on if I actually remember more than just the existence of the word. It's like a grass gutter. Yeah. yeah. Doesn't um, it have like, like a gravel? Is that the one with the gravel bed on the bottom? 
It usually is. I think it can use other materials. Okay. I, I'm, I think it's used in a lot of other ways. I know it only from transportation. So a lot of okay. roadways use bioswales where you'll see kind of just the cuts and the curve and it just flows into this green space oh, um, yeah. with some native okay. vegetation. But again, it takes that water away from the overworked uh, mm -hmm. water storm sewer lines. Yeah, I've, I've learned so much in the last two years about how many, like, big box stores and their giant parking lots are built in floodplains. And then, not every rain event, but when, as we're getting more and more of these heavy rain events, they just flood every time and um, causing problems for all of the people around them. Mm -hmm. So another thing we offer cost share for, and Julie, who's our watershed coordinator in Easter Lake, has had a lot of success recruiting people for this, is you can put what we call soil quality restoration, where they would take compost and cover your lawn with a couple inches of compost, which really helps the water mm -hmm. infiltrate. And so I think it was at the state level, they passed a law where construction companies aren't required to put topsoil on their, mm -hmm. your yards anymore mm -hmm. after you know, when yeah. they come in. And so through this program, you're able to kind of restore that, or if it's leached off or something mm -hmm. or runoff, you can restore that. So That's pretty cool. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. a lot of, you know, very everyday life connections to your organization. I think from my side, yeah. I would also add a lot of these things only work well if it's across jurisdictions. Yeah. So when yeah. you rivers think, don't care where the county yeah, lines they don't know boundaries. Like that, they right? just keep going. Yeah. So, right. um, you know, I also think it's really important to have these larger districts that can, you know, have the urban area of Des Moines working with the rural areas upstream and downstream and sort of trying to get everybody to pull together because, you know, water quality and flooding, like, affects everybody. So right. um, having yeah. that more collaborative, broader approach has been really important as well. Yeah. So big rain events happening, lots going on, election year, out of all that, you know, what are you, what are you most excited about right now? The water trails are a big opportunity. So I... Um, through work was just at the Iowa Ideas Conference and kind of started talking about the water trails and the people that were there, all like 10 of them in this <laughs> room, they didn't know anything about what's going on in here in mm -hmm. Des Moines. You know, we all kind of live in our own little bubbles and it's good to kind of get out and, and talk to other people. And they were very concerned, like, well, wait a minute, but the water isn't clean. I, what are you guys going to do about that? <laughs> You know, and it's kind of this chicken and egg thing, but I think people uh, may not realize how much is, is moving through these watershed groups right now, and I think they're going to make a big difference. And so I'm personally involved right now with the, the Beaver Creek watershed, which flows through Johnston, up through Perry, and they're just getting started on kind of this outreach effort to go talk to landowners and get, you know, open it up beyond just this little boardroom that meets um, which is exciting. And then the North Raccoon, I think, is the biggest watershed in Iowa. And we meet in Lake City, about 45 minutes south of Storm Lake. And we're about to enter kind of a new phase as well. We just hired, like, an engineering firm to kind of start and do more outreach efforts over the next year. What's interesting to me is when we've had moments to kind of choose whether we wanted to dig into this drama and the water quality debate between the the urban and rural interests nobody wants to do that yeah <laughs> everybody's just kind of ready to move on and i honestly think that's part of the 2016 election like everyone just has the fatigue of mm -hmm. being divided that for this few 
these few hours that we're all in this meeting together, nobody wants to go there. So, and I think these flooding events are a reality check and bring people together. And so when people get together for these watershed groups, people are there because they want to be there. Mm -hmm. Even if they don't know what they're doing right now, I think we're all going to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So now the final question we hope you're prepared for is, what should we have for dinner? Oh, man. Um... Oh, I I love to cook, but I have young kids right now, and it's just hard. And so I'll just <laughs> yeah. be honest. I'm probably going to have, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. All right. Um, All right. <laughs> but I uh, I make my own jelly. What? Yeah, I have. we have um, in our backyard, I have, like, a 40-foot raspberry bed. Wow. It's a, it's a monster of a raspberry <laughs> bed. It, it's great, but it's it keeps growing every year. It keeps yeah, spreading. raspberries can take over. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and... I, when I planted this raspberry bed, I assumed that most of the plants would probably not survive because from other people I've talked to, that was kind of the case, and they, they didn't. So so now I make jam every summer, um, and I, I don't always have a lot of time to cook. So, um, But, yeah, and then the other thing, I um, we subscribed to Dogpatch Urban Gardens because we live just yeah. a few blocks from there. Mm-hmm. So um, I from May to November, I usually have a lot of her greens and vegetables so i eat a lot of her stuff a lot of her salads and a lot of peanut butter and jelly (laughs) sandwiches if you round it out with a salad you know that's pretty good good. yeah (laughs) right awesome Uh, all right well well thank you again so much for joining us and for telling us all about what you do yeah thanks for having me this was fun Thanks again to Katie Rock from the Polk County Soil and Water Conservation District. Um, It was really, really interesting to hear about the work that she does. Um, Once again, one of those maybe unseen and less heard of things that happens in the community around us. Certainly something I had no idea really existed or what they did. Yeah, definitely. Like when you flip over that ballot and you start to see more and more names, you're like, "I, I don't know what these people do. It was great to find out more about that yeah so hopefully we're we're helping you guys as election day looms ever closer get more and more prepared for those ballots and you know make sure you check out our facebook page we did post something on how to find your precinct uh, which is also your polling place and then pull up a preview of your ballot so you can actually see exactly who's running what votes are going on in your precinct uh, and get prepared for all of that. And we're trying to line up some guests who also relate to ballot items, whether that's people who are actually running or people who currently hold positions. And we'll, we'll do what we can there in these next two shows before election day. Yeah. And hopefully this is another one of those interviews that just kind of spark inspiration. I think back to when we had Jessica with the parks and rec board Mm -hmm. on of just like, you have this passion and how do you connect it to your community or to um, sort of larger issues? And, you know, Katie, with her long history, living near the rivers, interacting, like having that be a part of her life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, seem like there is an elected position that deals with it. And, you know, I feel like I can bring my ideas and energy to it. And she was able to. And it's always really inspiring to hear about that. Yeah, and I like how she described it as kind of being a low barrier to entry position. She was very upfront with that, and I think that's really great. Again, so many of these times, whether it's the people in the offices themselves or the 
the actual positions, they can seem so out of reach and unattainable mm-hmm. and, and other and, and beyond. And they're really not, especially, you know, when you get into smaller communities, you know, you're not in gigantic cities um, in, in really, really populated areas. Like, you can go for it, and you should. And there are times when you look at sort of national politics and it feels kind of bitter at yeah. the moment. These are nonpartisan yeah. positions mm-hmm. where... You don't run um, as a party. <laughs> right. And, you know, you think about our talk with Jamie and a few others. I mean, especially on the local level, a lot of times, you know, it's so different from what we read about in the news. That's why we're so excited to learn more about our local community and get involved in our local communities that um, we found again and again that it's been very accessible, it's been Mm -hmm. very welcoming, and that it really is just connecting what you know, what you're passionate about, what you want to get involved in with these positions where they really are going out and day after day trying to help their community. Yeah. And Katie described several ways that the SWCDs, (laughs) it's a mouthful no matter how I try to do it, um, that they help their communities, you know, with different cost-sharing programs and and things like that that I'd never heard of. Yeah, there's so many of these different resources available, and you can come at it from a lot of different ways, right? Of, like, you know, I'm very environmentally focused, stormwater quality matters (laughs) to me, and, like, how many inches I can contain on my own yard. Mm -hmm. And, you know, our neighbors may be like, yeah, whatever, but also there's this, you know, she talked about adding composting to replace topsoil, and Mm -hmm. your yard is greener and healthier, and you can grow plants more, and there's a lot of different reasons to get involved and take advantage of these resources, but it does play a vital role for our community, and we're really excited to help connect people to these resources and learn more about them. Yeah. I don't know if this analogy will particularly work. When she was first talking about it, I I would have imagined most of what the district did was related to kind of work that they did, right? That they would get funding from different areas and they would have projects that they did that, you know, would help the region. But it also rolls down to the individual level like this, right? What role can we play? I guess there's no real... I was going to go with an analogy for like analytics. Sometimes you do these models, right? Where you're trying to predict what an entire swath of a population will do. And then when you actually get it down to its component pieces of like, well, what will Mike do? Or what will Tammy do? Um, it's much harder to, to place that prediction on a single person. You're kind of looking at an entire group and saying, well, on average, this is what's going to happen. And I kind of was thinking of the conservation district's work in that way, that it would just sort of say, well, you know, in, in this region, we're going to have all of this stuff happen. And it's kind of ambiguous when you think about it from an individual level, but it actually is getting rolled out to the individuals too. Like this is how you as a homeowner can influence your environment, help with the conservation efforts and be helped in doing that. You know, it's not just a list of instructions, it's financial assistance as well. Yeah, the most local action of all is improving your own, you know, home or something. Literally what's happening in your own backyard, right? That's like the the saying that we use when we say what's happening uh, around us. So it was very cool. And even cooler that she's a listener, right? 
Yeah, so please do continue to reach out to us. We're always here. Thanks again to Katie for coming on our show. Please make sure to uh, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps. Uh, And for the latest on upcoming episodes, uh, visual aids for select episodes, not this one, and lots more, you know, make sure to follow us on Twitter at BLBDPod and like our Facebook page, Bright Lights Big Data. And as Mike said, we'd love to hear from you. So send us your questions on Facebook or Twitter, or you can also email us at brightlightsbigdata at gmail.com. That could be questions about what we do, uh, our opinions on various happenings, or questions or ideas for future guests. We might even answer your questions in a future episode. So that's all from us this week. We'll see you again soon. This has been Bright Lights, Big Data. Until next time. Thank you.